Well, good morning. Welcome to this Christmas season, this Christmas time. And uh, right here at Christmas. Glad to have all of you in our second service today. What a great day to be alive. And, uh, you know, the, the Christmas time, we've uh, went over our text today. will be taken from Luke 2, but we went over it at the Christmas play. How many enjoyed the Christmas play? The children done so awesome. And all those that work with them, it was just great. But as I was looking at the Christmas story this year and got interested in uh, this time of year, this the Advent season, and uh, what I want to do today, this time leading up to Christmas is called Advent, right? How many went to church growing up where you observed Advent? All right, we got some in here. All right, the Advent season, a lot of times they would have children, uh, and the children would actually practice saying this during the Advent season. And I'm going to do it with you today. What season are we celebrating? Advent. You know, a lot of people just say Christmas, but actually right now we celebrate Advent. All right, what is Advent? The children would say, Advent is the season before Christmas. So then we'd say, what kind of season is Advent? And say, Advent is a season of waiting. Advent is a season of waiting. Where are we waiting? And the kids would respond, in the land of deep darkness. In the land of deep darkness. Then, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the light to shine on us. We're waiting for the light to shine on us. What do you do during Advent? You prepare, we prepare our hearts to welcome Jesus. Then, what do we confess during Advent? We confess, confess that Christ has come and Christ will come again. Christ has come and Christ will come again. And um, so during the Advent season, it starts usually four Sundays before Christmas. Sometimes that'll fall in the very last of November, or it would start in the first of December, according to how that would fall. And you would observe Advent. Advent is what? It's a time of darkness. It's a time of waiting. Uh, and so and it's good. A lot of people go, well, I just don't feel, it don't feel like Christmas to me. I don't feel very happy. I don't feel very joyful. I'm not into the season. Well, that would be the proper feelings for Advent. That would be the way that most people feel during the Advent season. And so I want us to get a feel of what that would be like. I talked about Luke 2. One thing about Luke 2, and we know a little bit about it. We're familiar with most of the story. You know all about the decree that Caesar Augustus sent out and the journey then that uh, Joseph and Mary had to make to Bethlehem. And then they get there and there's no room in the inn. And the shepherds are out in the field keeping their watch over the flocks by night. Then the angel uh, comes and the angel, you know, if you saw an angel, you'd probably go, oh no. And you would fear. And they, they, the angel said, fear not. And you know, we notice that there's, there's 365 fear nots in the Bible. God does not want us to be fearful. We don't know what, we didn't know what this year held. We don't know what next year, 2020, holds for any of us. But God does not want, He does not want us to be fearful. Not only did the angels tell them not to be fearful, He filled them with joy. And then later He said, not only filled them with joy, He filled them with great joy. Great joy. And so when we look at the story, he said, glory to God in the highest. And then the shepherds visit the baby and everyone's amazement at what is happening. Mary's pondering all that's in her heart. And then there are the lesser known parts of the story. I want to talk a little bit about the lesser known parts of the Christmas story here at a moment. But I want you to get the, the picture, the time of this uh, story. This time is they'd been about 400 years where... No prophet, nobody had really heard anything from God. 
If you hadn't heard from God in 400 years, you would assume that he's probably dead or something's gone, something's wrong. Where's God at? Some of you this year, you may have wondered several times during the year, where is God at? Where is God at during my problems? Where is God at during the tough times I've been going through this year? For some of you, this is not a great time of year. It reminds you of the one that's not with you this year. And so you go, well, you can be all joyful if you want to, but not everybody's joyful. And you're exactly right. It's not a joyful time for a lot of people. But I want you to see in this story, in this story that took place, there's Elizabeth and Zechariah is in this story. And they're the parents of John the Baptist. But you, you, you have to understand they were in old age. And Zechariah could go back and he could look at a thousand years of his family tree, his ancestry. And as he looked back, he goes, you know, it all, it's all going to end with me. Everybody, there's been an offspring, there's been an offspring... There's been somebody in the lineage, but it's, it's fixing it all in with me. It's the, the end. You know, that's the, the end. It's over with me. It's, it's done. And about the time that Zechariah and Elizabeth probably was losing all hope, an angel comes to them and says, you're going to have a baby. One thing we'll learn about this story, this story are about some unusual people. These first two people are too old to have a baby. They're too old. But you know, the story of Christmas is not just for the young, it's for the old as well. To these old people that are past this childbearing years, they come and say, you're going to have a baby, and you know, you're going to name him John. Well, maybe Zechariah did he didn't want to name him John because, see, you know, John, that's, that's not in his family tree. Why would he want to name him John? But the angel said, call him John. And just because you're arguing with the angel, you're going to not be able to talk for nine months. Now, this is not a great Christmas time if you can't talk. You ever heard one of them stories? Old Archie Campbell used to do it on Hee Haw. He would tell this story and he would tell something. And they'd say, oh, that's bad. No, he goes, no, that's good. He tells one time he fell out of a plane. He got a ride on this plane and they started, he wanted to do all these tricks and he fell out of the plane. And they said, oh, that's bad. He said, no, that was good. On the way down, I saw this big old hay pile, hay, hay stack. And, and they go, well, that's good. No, he said, no, when I got a little closer, I noticed there was a, porch, uh, a pitchfork in that hay stuff. And they said, oh, that's bad. And he goes, no, that's good because I missed the whole, uh, I missed the uh, the." The pitchfork. And they said, that's good. And he said, no, I didn't even hit the haystack. And it broke me up pretty bad. And I had to have an ambulance come get me. And they put me in the hospital. And they said, oh, that's bad. He said, no, that's good. I met a nurse. <laughs> and they said, no, that's good. <laughs> that right there is good. And he said, no, the nurse was a doctor's wife. <laughs> but you get that, the, the story. A lot of you have had stuff happen this year in your life. And right now, you're, you're in the in-between. You, you, right now, if you had to put a period at the end of your story, you would say, oh, that's bad. Really, all I've had this year is bad, bad, bad. But see, the story's not over. The author is still writing. Your story is not done yet. So in reality, we don't know yet whether we've had a bad year or, or not a bad year. See, me and, me and my wife was married five years. We, we had our anniversary this year. Uh, every year, but this just a few days ago. Uh, and we got married at that time. It usually falls within a day or two. We got married on the winter solstice. You know what that means? That means you get married and it's the longest, blackest day of the year. Now, if you're going to get married and you're going to have a honeymoon, you want it to be the longest night of the year, right? Uh, <laughs> That's always my little joke. I, I, I've told you everybody got married on the longest night of the year. But, but you see, we got married at a very young age, and you go, oh, that was bad. <laughs> we had people betting on that we would not last. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good, because that made us stay together no matter what. We're going to prove them wrong. <laughs> you know, and then we were, we were told, y'all can't have any children. Got some uh, problems there, and you'll never be able to have children. So 
You go, oh, that's bad. No, that was kind of good because if we would have had a child, we'd have never left and went off to college. So we said, okay, we're not going to have any children, so let's, let's do something. This guy said, y'all need to go off to college. What are y'all doing down here in Fort Myers? Y'all need to go off to college. He said, I'm going to help you. He helped us go off to college. We probably would have hesitated or not went if we'd had a baby at that time. So we get to college. We're in our first semester of college. And there this, had this like a revival service, spiritual emphasis week. And we went up and my wife was healed. And a few months later, you go, that's good. Well, no, that's kind of bad in a way because a few months later, she found out she's pregnant. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. She had to drop out of school <laughs> at that particular time. And so you, you go back, well, no, that was good. But that was good. We named his name Matthew. It means gift from God. And so we could go back, and at any given time in that story, at some point in that story, it probably seemed bad, but actually it turned out good. And what the Christmas story is all about, it starts in Advent. It's the season before, it's the season before, uh, you know, it's called a season of waiting. It's a season of waiting. The, the great prophet John Mayer, you ever heard of him, John Mayer? I think he graduated from Berkeley. Uh, I want to read you something he wrote. He probably did not know it at the time, but he wrote a song that would, could be used as an Advent song. Where you see, the, the, God's people sung in the minor key. I was messing around on my guitar and I started playing this John Mayer song, Waiting on the World to Change in a Minor Key. And then I went off into O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is in a minor key. And... Uh, and so it's that longing, it's that wanting. Oh God, I wish something would happen. Listen to these words. Me and all my friends, we're all misunderstood. They say we stand for nothing and there's no way we ever could. Now we see everything that's going wrong with this world and those who lead it. We just feel like we don't have the means to rise up and defeat it. So we keep on waiting, waiting, waiting on the world to change. We keep on waiting and waiting and waiting on the world to change. It's hard to beat the system when you're standing at a distance. So we keep on waiting and waiting, waiting for the world to change. Now, if we had the power to bring our neighbors home from war, they would never have missed a Christmas. There'd be no ribbons on their door. And when you trust your television, what you get is what you got. Because when they own the information, oh, they can bend it all they want. Does that sound remotely like it was written for today? He wrote that a long time ago, actually. That's why we're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting on the world to change. We keep on waiting. Waiting, waiting for the world to change. It's not that we don't care. We just know that the fight ain't fair. So we keep on waiting and waiting and waiting, waiting for the world to change. One day our generation's going to rule the population. But you know, until then, we just keep on waiting and waiting and waiting for the world to change. You, you get it? God's people had been waiting a long time. God's people were known to be a joyful people. A people that sung songs. See, when they come and uh, you, you hear these songs, like Elizabeth and Zechariah, they had a song of praise to the Lord. Mary had a song. The angels had a song. God's people are to have a song. But how can you have a song when things are not going well? How can you have a song when everything's going wrong? It just don't feel right, does it? Some people don't like to listen to Christmas songs. Turn that off. What's all the joy about? It's easy to have a Scrooge in our midst. And sometimes it's you or it's me. Because we don't feel like it. We're waiting. The world's not fair. It's not fair. Well, here is God's people waiting. 400 years, they had not heard anything from God. 400 years. And you've got, you've got 
Zechariah and Elizabeth, all these years waiting and they never have a baby. They're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And it seems like their life's going to be over. Then you've got the story of Mary and Joseph. Zechariah and Elizabeth's too old. Then you've got Mary and Joseph. She's really too young, right? The gospel is for the young. It's for the old. You're going to have a baby. That's good. No, that's not good. I ain't married. I'm a spouse, and me and Joseph has not even been together. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, they could have took her out to the edge of the city and stoned her if they wanted to. He could have put, he decided to put her away privately until God told him not to, that this thing that seems so bad right now in your life is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. And so since we don't know, we're not the sovereign God and we don't know the end from the beginning like he does, he tells us no matter what you're going through, don't lose your song. See, God's people were in Babylonian captivity one time. And, you know, they were known to be a joyful people. Actually, when Moses, you know, Moses said, uh, God said, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt's bondage. They've been there 430 years. Moses goes, I can't do that. You think Pharaoh's just going to let them go because I go? What am I going to say? He says, tell them I am has sent you. So Moses says, well, I'm not a spokesperson. I'm, I'm very poor at speaking. And he goes, well, I'll give you air and he'll be your mouthpiece. You ever notice when God wants you to do something, he just solves all the problems. He, all our excuses, he just like, I've got this excuse. Well, I'll fix that excuse. I've got that excuse. I'll fix that excuse. And so they go. So finally, Moses goes and he leads them. You know, you know, every time you can almost tell for sure that you're in God's will, something bad's starting to happen to you. The enemy's after you. Just as soon as Pharaoh, uh, Moses began to leave the children out of Egypt, Pharaoh started pursuing them. And then we find, we find Moses between a rock and a hard place in the, in the Red Sea. And then he prays to God. He stretches out that rod and all at once the Red Sea parts and they go across on dry ground. Not, not soggy, wet, muddy ground, but on dry ground. They go across on dry ground. And then about the time they get to the other side, Moses looks back and now here's all of Pharaoh's army coming that day, coming right across that same, uh, that same Red Sea. And all at once the waters cave in on them. And even to this day, they said they can find chariot wheels in the Red Sea. See, it seemed like a bad day, but it turned out to be a good day. And the guy that said he was not eloquent in speech and he couldn't speak, he's over on the other side now. He's over, now all his enemies have been buried in the sea. And Moses is over there, they're dancing and singing, they're having a party. And they're singing one of the songs of Zion. But later on in Scripture, you find that God's people are in captivity again. They're in Babylonian captivity this time. And so the nations had heard of the happy singing of the, of the, the, the people of God. And they, they said, you know, sing us one of those songs of Zion. And they go, well, how can we sing one of these songs when we're in captivity? They had hung their harps on the willows. The man of God said, take the harps off the willows and sing anyway. Sing anyway. Be joyful anyway. I got to thinking about that. You know, you know, I was thinking about what song do we have in Tennessee? We have Rocky Top, don't we? We have Rocky Top. And if you're a true, true uh, Tennessee fan, how many's ever been in that stadium before? I'm telling you, they will rock that song called Rocky Top. And that song, by the way, was written on Christmas Day. Got to be a connection there. It's a gift from God. I don't know. It was written on Christmas Day. But Rocky Top! And so the real fans, the real tried and true fans of faith, they sing Rocky Top in the years where we're not even winning. We can have a, a really bad season and you go to the stadium, you still sing Rocky Top! How could you ever go to that stadium and leave without singing Rocky Top a couple of times? Even when you lose it, it makes you feel better. And you know the favorite last words of a Tennessee fan for a while was, what? Next year, right? Next year. Next year. It's going to be better next year. Because that's our song. That's our pride. Rocky Top. Well, folks, the children of Israel, that's the way they felt about their songs. 
We're going to sing our song. So they took their harps off the, the, the willows and they started singing their song. I don't know if it was as good as Rocky Top, but they sung it and they danced and they rejoiced and they really had nothing to rejoice about. They had nothing to dance about. And so you find these angels coming to Elizabeth and Zechariah and gives them a song and tells them, sing your song. They come to Mary and Joseph and said, sing your song. And Mary breaks forth in a song. And the angels out in the field, they give them a song and they start to sing. Folks, the, the devil don't own all the songs in the world. We've got a song. But I, I want to tell you something about Advent. I don't know if you've ever noticed though, but Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of darkness. This season is uh, they they just started the lighting of the the uh, Hanukkah lighting the uh, the uh, uh, menorah. They started lighting it today, and they light one, and then they take and they light the others with that one. There's one light comes. They light the one candle, and then that candle they go and they light the next one from left to right, just like you read the, the, the Hebrew writings. You, you read it from left to right, or right, right to left. And so what they do is from right to left, they would light these candles. And every day, it would be brighter in the house. The next day, it would be a little bit brighter. And that represented getting in the Word, getting in God's covenant, getting in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Or, or not then, it was in the, it was the Pentateuch. It was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. But every time you get in the Word of God, it gives you a little bit more light. And it was to represent that a little bit more light. A little bit more light. And they would do that. They'd have the beginning candle and then eight more days, they would light the menorah. It's amazing. It's amazing, these traditions. It was, it was not uncommon originally for there to be this darkest period. I believe Christmas is at the right time of year. It's supposed to come at the darkest time of the year. It's the longest night. The Bible said that, that darkness comes or, you know, morning endures for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. So we go through these dark periods in our life, but joy comes in the morning. We can't lose our hope. We can't lose our, our desire. We're waiting on Christmas. You ever waited on a Christmas? You ever had something you were looking for? And as a kid, you were waiting on I can't wait for Christmas to get here. I was asking London. I said, London, what do you want for Christmas? How many days is it to Christmas? Yeah, I think she said, like th three more days. I said, London, what do you want for Christmas? She said, anything toys. <laughs> anything. Yeah, that's being kind of general there, but anything toys. Now that will change over the years. You'll get more and more specific. But she wanted anything toys. We're waiting for Christmas. These people were waiting for different things. And part of the story that we don't normally get, part of the story we, we quit talking about is we quit talking sometimes about the rest of Jesus' life. A few days after he's born, they take him to the temple, and there's a man there named Simeon. Simeon had been waiting all his life. He was told, he was prophesied to, that he would not die until he has seen the salvation of the Lord. So he goes to the temple every day, and they bring kids in, and, oh, that's not the one, that ain't the one. Some way, no, some way another in his spirit, he would know when the one came. And finally, Mary and Joseph come bringing this baby in. And he looks down at that baby and he lights up. The light comes. He, he just gets all excited. And he said, the sovereign Lord has finally did it. The salvation of the Lord is here. This is the Messiah. He was so excited. After all those years of waiting. There's another. There's a woman named Anna. I don't know if she'd got married as young as, as Mary, maybe 13 years of age. But if she had, after seven years, her husband passes away. What do you do when tragedy hits home? What do you, what do you happens when you have to bury a child? What do you happen when you lose your job? What happens when a disastrous darkness comes in your life? I'm going to tell you what Anna did. Anna made up her mind that she's going to get up every day. She's going to go to that temple. She's going to keep serving God. She's going to keep reading the scripture. She's going to keep going to the temple. You know how long she did that? Her husband died after seven years of being married. 
She was 81 now in the temple, so you could estimate anywhere from 50 to 60 years she had been coming to the temple as a widow. And she was waiting on something. She was waiting on something. And she finally observes, she sees this baby, and she said that finally our Redeemer has come. Our Redeemer has come, and she needed forgiveness. Simeon needed comfort. He needed the comfort of knowing that the Messiah had come. It was a good time and a bad time. Simeon goes, I got to see the salvation of the Lord. And yet, in the back of his mind, you're going to live until that time, and then you're going to die. So maybe he died the next day, the next week, the next month. I don't know. This woman waited 50 to 60 years every day being faithful to God, faithful to God, faithful to God. And maybe she didn't have a lot of reasons to be faithful to God. She didn't find a new husband. A lot of things probably didn't go well for her, but she kept following God. And so we find this story. This story comes out of darkness. I don't know if you know it or not, but most of the people say, I don't like Christmas songs. They're hard to play if you're trying to play an instrument. They're hard to sing. And most of them's in a minor key. Why would people sing a minor key? Because they were waiting. Like John Mayer, they were waiting on the world to change. And so they would sing songs like, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. You think of all the Christmas songs that's written in the minor. Why did people sing the blues? Because they were going through things that made them blue. And so here, during this period of darkness, they're singing the blues. They're singing in a minor key. And so all the way up until Christmas, used to, they would take it, they would go, they wouldn't even start, they wouldn't start in October, they would start Christmas Eve, they'd go get a tree, they'd bring it in, they'd trim the tree, they'd set it up. Then they would start getting ready, they might, years ago, put candles on it, or they'd put lights on it. And at midnight, when it crossed over midnight of the darkest day of the year, you might say, right around that time, they would light that tree. The light has come. And see, the, the, they didn't even start the Hanukkah starts and they light a candle each day. It's getting brighter and brighter. It's getting brighter and brighter. That's the story of Christmas. I must have said something that sounded like Sherry or something like that. It's called... She want to know if I can help. <laughs> you can preach a while if you want to. Uh, but O come, O come, Emmanuel. Darkness, a dark period of time. So we go through these seasons of our life where we're, it's dark. It's gloomy. It's a time of waiting. I heard a guy one time said, if you go fishing, you know, you're fishing and you fish and you've been there an hour, been there two hours, but you tried every kind of bait in your tackle box. Pretty soon you, eventually, you don't have faith in your ability to catch fish or you don't have faith in the fact that there's even fish there or you're in the wrong spot. And you might go, well, there's no fish in this pond. And then you see somebody on the other side catch one. You go, well, it's, there's fish here, all right, but I just can't catch them. The longer you wait and the more you face these different circumstances, eventually... You're, you don't leave the pond because there's no fish there. You've already, it's already been proven there's fish there. But you leave because you're not catching anything. It's, your circumstances are not well. You're, you've been there a long time. You got there before everybody else and you haven't caught anything. And so what happens at the heart of waiting is this hope and belief. The longer we have to wait, the more faith it takes. that We've got to keep our hope intact. And so if a belief that's what we're it's a belief that what we are preparing for, say, if you want, I want peace in my life. I want joy in my life. I want love in my life. We want this. We're preparing ourselves for it. It's on its way to us. It's on its way. You've got to believe that whatever you're longing for is on its way or you'll give up hope. You'll give up hope. You've got to believe. You've got to keep believing. In 2020, keep believing. Keep believing. Don't ever give up. Believe that peace is on its way. Believe that love is on the way. Believe that joy is on its way. This belief is the power of faith. Faith forsaking all. I trust Him. 
It's not good today. It's dark today. It's not been a good year. It's been a bad year. I've got all kinds of troubles. But I've got faith in God. I'm forsaking all, uh, everything else, forsaking all. I trust Him and Him alone. It keeps your hope intact. Get in God's Word. Get in God's Word. You know, finally, the baby Jesus is born. And when these angels would come, they'd say, be of great joy. Like, what are you talking about? You don't know the life I've been living for a long time. You don't know what I've been going through. He tells us to be of great joy anyway. If you're a real fan of Jesus Christ, you don't need everything in your life to be going well to walk in this building and worship God. Because He's worthy to be worshipped whether you're feeling anything or not. It's the consistency and the faithfulness of getting in God's Word. Anna kept going to the temple. She kept praying. She kept fasting. She kept going. And finally, she seen the salvation of the Lord. She seen the redemption come. People go, well, I decided to serve God a long time ago and everything's not going right in my life. Who said it would? Who said it would? After Jesus was born... Can you imagine they're all celebrating Jesus is born and just two years later, everybody that had a baby during the time that Jesus was born, their first son, uh, firstborn son was fixing to be put to death. So Mary and Joseph's joy turns out to everybody else's suffering. Somewhere in that town as Jesus was growing up and learning and growing in wisdom and stature, and, and going and talking to people in the temple and all these things. Somewhere in that town, parents didn't have no baby boy anymore. Somewhere in that town, there was a little boy that he was born and he could not walk. And they would take him to this place where the water was stirred. They said maybe this angel came and stirred the water. If you could get in the water first, then you could end up getting healed. And some parents had taken him every day Every day to that point. There's other parents that had taken their boy and laid him on the steps of the temple on a mat and, you know, wanting people to give him alms. This is after Jesus was born. It's like the light has come, but the light has not fully come. The Redeemer had come, but He's not fully come. The consolation of Israel had come, but not fully come. So what is Advent? It's waiting on the Lord to come and you're waiting for Him to come again. So here in 2019, we sat, and some of you sat in a lonely place, you sat in a dark place, you sat in a broken place, you sat in a place where, you know, your marriage went down the drain, your finances went down the drain, you've got a medical issue. Somewhere in Bethlehem, there was a woman that started bleeding one day. She went to all the people that knew about medicine and nobody could do anything about it. And she had this issue for 18 years. Finally, this little baby named Jesus grows up. Some of you still pray, pray to the eight pound, five ounce baby. You know, whatever, like Ricky Bobby. But that baby grew up. And that baby, there's this woman, she saw this man walking through the city and that's the one they were saying that he was that baby, now he's the Messiah. And she goes, oh my God, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And she touched the hem of his garment and she was made whole. One day Jesus walked to where this water was stirred. And he goes, why don't you get up off your mat and walk? And he said, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. She said, you don't need nobody to put you in the water. I say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the guy got up and folded up his mat and walked out. Jesus. I think about Jesus, his dear friend, Mary and Martha, Zach, uh, uh, Zacchaeus, and all, you know, all his friends. But Lazarus was his dear friend and his Lazarus gets sick. Jesus is out doing the will of the Father. And while he's out doing the will of the Father, he gets word that, that Lazarus is about to die. And Jesus can't get there in time. And so finally, Jesus starts heading. They've already took and they 
wrapped him up and they put him in a tomb and they've already sealed the door. And the Bible said that as Jesus is walking along there, that he begins to cry. Jesus wept. And I got to thinking about that. I'm thinking about the God of all the universe. That God is walking on streets of dust and he's crying. He's crying. He feels what we feel. He hurts when we hurt. He understands. He's lived in this world. This world is the world that, like John Merritt wrote about, this world is not going to change. It'll get temporarily, there'll be a little light here, a little bit light there, but it's not really going to get better until Jesus comes the second time. When he comes the second time, he comes the first time on a little donkey. They wave little palm branches, little ceremony. Folks, the next time he's coming, he's coming on a big old white horse. And the scales of justice is going to be made uh, balanced. He's going to balance the justice. The most amazing thing I ever went to, and I used to hate when somebody went to Israel and they'd come back and they'd try to tell their stories. Nobody understood what it was all about. and They couldn't explain it. It's something you can't explain. You almost have to be there. But this last year, me and my wife got to go to Israel. And it was all so fascinating. We walked around most of the time in tears. It was so amazing to walk on streets where Jesus walked. To be out on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus was. And realize what went on over there. It's amazing. But one of the highlights of being there is going over and going to the wedding wall. I don't know if you know or not, but this congregation, me and Sharon, we wrote down a prayer for this church and we rolled it up and we stuck it in the Wailing Wall. But you ever thought about the Wailing Wall? Every week people dress up in the black and they put their different hats on and they go to the Wailing Wall. And we were told, we got to get there earlier. You won't never get down to the Wailing Wall. And I'm saying, there's that many people at the Wailing Wall? Wouldn't you think if you went down there and wailed last week and the week before and the week before and the week before and the month before and the year before and the year before and nothing really happened, you would quit wailing after a while? You'd quit praying after a while? Not God's people. They know they're on the right team. They go to the wailing wall and they wail and they're just wailing like this on the wailing wall. They're just praying. Their temple is destroyed. There's just one little old back wall there if you back up far enough you can look over the top of that wall and you can see this this uh, the, the gold roof of this the Muslim temple they're playing their prayers out loud over a loudspeaker and it's trying to override the people of God praying and, and just wailing at the wailing wall and you get there and it's so heart wrenching you see these people they're wailing they're waiting. They're wanting. And we just sat there and we were in amazement. We didn't know how long it would take us to get all the way up to the front of the wall there and put our hands on the wall, put our prayers in the wall. But we finally made it. And over on one side, you see this big old, big old giant, huge golden menorah. It's humongous. And they've got it under glass. And we go, what is that? That's the menorah. What is it doing out here? Built like that. It's huge. It looks like it's pure gold. It's got a glass over it. We built it. Why'd you build it? Because one day that place over there with that gold top is going to be gone. And God's temple is going to be back there. And we've already built this to go into the temple. We might be waiting right now, but we're expecting. We're going to put this menorah in that temple. Because God said it was going to happen. It's going to happen. The enemy, if you want to know where the enemy is, he's right near what God's doing all the time. He's always after what God's doing. Did you know the Eastern Gate? If you go to that, uh, the, the Holy City there, you go to the Eastern Gate. You go to the Eastern Gate and it's not in the hands of the Israelis. It's not in the hands of God's people. 
they've taken and they've sealed up that whole gate where it can't even be opened. Sealed it with concrete and stuff. Then they've taken and right out in front of it, they've set up a burial ground. And their idea is, you know, who would be so ruthless? Who would be so crazy to go disturb a burial ground to go through that gate right there? I'm going to tell you who's going to do it one day, and it's Jesus. Jesus is going to walk up there, and He's going to rise, and all those bodies are going to come out of that ground. Jesus is going to walk right past that graveyard, and He's going to declare that gates, oh ye gates, open wide. And the kingdom glory is going to come in. So the enemy in the same, in the same city there where there's a menorah waiting for the, the, the temple to be rebuilt, there's graveyards and there's sealed up gates. You see the enemy very present where the, the things of God are. You always, it said that, that the light has come. Jesus is the light of the world. I love that passage where it said Jesus is the light of the world. But the, the, the darkness has not left. The, the darkness has not depleted. The darkness has not gone. But he said the light has come. And the darkness will never overcome that light. Ever. Ever. And so you know what happens at the wedding wall? As it gets to the end of the evening. They start playing this music. These people dressed in black. They get out there and they start dancing. And they start rejoicing. And they start doing these where they're holding hands and going around in circles rejoicing. Why? Has anything really changed? Did they see any blocks going up on their temple? Did they see the, 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 the moss being moved? Did they see? No. But see, God's people do things by faith. Faith keeps your hope alive. They can go every week and look at that menorah. One day that menorah is going to be put in the temple. Hallelujah! One day that building is going to be moved and our temple will be sitting right there. That's the way we have to live 2020. No matter what kind of darkness you're setting in, you've got to expect, you've got to prepare your heart for peace and love and joy. You're either getting better or you're getting bitter, and please don't get bitter. You're too good for that. God loves you too much. He died for you, not for you to get bitter, but for you to get better. But I understand some of you have been through a rough year. After Jesus left and went back to heaven, there was still darkness. Every single one of the disciples died a cruel death. Except John the, Bav uh, John, uh, the Revelator and John the Revelator was bald in oil and threw out on the Isle of Patmos. So where is God? They would take God's people, their leaders, and they'd take them into this place and they would beat them until their back is just tore wide open. They'd done that to Paul and Silas. They were in there in the midnight hour. See, that was their custom. Around midnight, you wailed for a while, you cried for a while, but there comes a time, it's time to put away the minor songs. It's time to get in the major songs. Instead of singing, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, you sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. There's a distinct time when you move out of the minor, you move out of the blues, you move out of the mully grubs, and you declare by faith that joy to the world and the Lord has come. You don't ever give up. You don't ever put your harps on the willows. You get them off and you sing. A good fan sings when their team's winning, they sing when they're not winning. They rejoice. My son, you know, sometimes those rejoicing times keeps you going during the dark times. My son was at UT when they won the national championship and they tore down the goalpost and carried it down Cumberland Avenue. Don't you know that, that those pictures are plastered everywhere? It's a memory that's there. It's the day that we won. Can you imagine the, 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 the things, the, the memories that God's people has? You remember, and they had to remind each other. You remember when God, you remember when God opened up the Red Sea and we went across and he buried our enemy and one day, that's our God. 
when we get in the book of Genesis, it's going to be amazing. We're going to talk about it starts off in the beginning, God. And you're going to find that God is the God of the entire universe. And why does it start out and why is that important? Because pretty soon there's going to be some other gods. Wherever there is the God, there's other gods always present. And there's going to be some other gods and they go, my God is the sun God. But God's people could go, well, I don't care if your God's the sun God. My God made your God then because my God made the sun. Uh-huh. If you'll look at scriptures the right way, you'll see that God already superseded everything the devil can ever attempt to do. He's already, the, the devil's already a defeated foe. The only thing he can do is try to make you believe you're not. He, he's not. There's still going to be some dark days. There's going to be some black days. There's going to be some long nights. But joy comes in the morning. So I tell you, no matter how hard it is, for you to muster up what it takes to sing songs of joy to the Lord in dark times, do it anyway. God's worthy of our praise. I'll never forget seeing people mourn and wail at the wailing wall. And after they do it a while, they sing songs of joy and they dance into the night. It's amazing. It's amazing. We're fixing to end this service. But I want you to know something. This belief is the power that keeps us going. While waiting, I will, here's something we need to resolve in our own heart. While waiting, I will practice seeing beyond my circumstances and behold the light of Christ in myself and in others. Sometimes you've got you've to just, you have to just look at people and say they're in a dark place. That's why they're acting the way they're acting. They're in a dark time in their life. There's times I've been in that dark place too. So I'm going to have grace on them. I hope next time I'm there, they'll have grace on me. But you look beyond the circumstances that is right now and you behold the light of Christ in yourself and in others, even though it's not shining very bright. God is on the throne and he's a sovereign God no matter what you're experiencing right now. I don't take light that some of you, this will be a hard Christmas. You're missing one of your dear loved ones. It's going to be hard. When Jesus was about to leave, he said, uh, I'm in this world. They hated me. They're going to hate you. If you stand for Jesus Christ and people hate you, you can rejoice because you're in the same company as Jesus. He was hated for the gospel's sake. You might be hated for the gospel's sake. The early church, they would soon realize that every one of their leaders would die a cruel death. You know what? They kept going anyway. They keep going to the wailing wall. They keep wishing for a better day. Keep, by faith, hoping for a better day. Singing for a better day. You know what kept them going? It's Jesus in that little room. He got them together and he said, here's what I want you to see. Here's what it's all been, the story of my redemption for you all these years. He said, this bread is my body broken for you. Take, eat, and do this in remembrance of me. He said, this cup would be in your service. You grew up, maybe it was red wine or red grape juice. This cup is the New Testament of my blood, the new covenant I made with you. Take, drink. As often as you do this, you keeps you in memory that I'm coming again. What is Advent? It's, it's waiting for His first coming for them. It's waiting for His second coming now for us. Where we're waiting, we're waiting in a dark, dangerous, devilish world. Who's going to win? Jesus. Build your menorahs. Get your lights ready. Trim your candles. He's coming back. He's coming back sooner than you may expect. Get your hearts right. Get prepared. He's coming. He's coming, folks. He's coming. And so today we're going to offer communion. And we're going to do it this way. We're going to have you come at the proper time. We'll have somebody here to help you with it. And uh, it's right there. You just take it and uh, partake of it. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little bit of both.
It's not quite Christmas. This is still the Advent. So we're going to sing a song in the minor key. O come, O come, Emmanuel. I want you to think of some area in your life that you're yearning for something to happen. You may be yearning for healing. You may be yearning for your marriage to be restored. You may be yearning for a child that's went astray. You may be yearning for your parents to come home to God. You may be yearning, desiring, waiting, wailing. I want you to take communion anyway. I want it to remind you and see the early church in spite of everything that went on in their church. You know what they did? They went around everywhere and here's what they'd say. Maranatha, the Lord cometh. They could just come out of being beaten in jail and they're coming out and their backs bleeding and they're rejoicing. And they'd say, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. And so when you take your communion today, going back to your seat or somebody up here, I want you to tell them before you leave here today, Maranatha, the Lord's coming. Hold on. Hold on. He's coming back, folks. It's going to be okay. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you bless this communion today. May we, may we take of this communion like we've never had before. Some of us today will take it with a wailing spirit. We'll take it even in a minor key, maybe. We may take it having the blues, feeling kind of depressed, lonely, desperate. Let us take it anyway, Lord. And let us be reminded you're coming again. We're going to see those loved ones again. Like Lazarus rose out of that grave, our loved ones are going to rise out of that grave. We're going to be together again. Let us be reminded of it. Let us be comforted by it. God, we ask today that we take it with a freshness. That we turn our wailing into joy. And we dance even in the hard times. In Jesus' name we pray. And Lord, we pray if there be one that don't know you as their personal Savior, that this becomes their day, that they come to the light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen.